Hi, I'm Shona, and this is my podcast. I'm a mum, a pre and postnatal trainer, CrossFit coach, yoga teacher, and I don't take myself or life too seriously. Enjoy my podcast. On this really amazing episode, you can hear my voice. I've just finished recording it and it was incredible. I have the wonderful Anthony Luan. Now, just to give you a little bit of information about Anthony, um, actually, I'm going to read out his Instagram bio. The big, tall, bald, Asian-looking physio detective, educator, thought leader, podcast host, loves CrossFit, jazz, studying sports, Christ and science. So I met Anthony at his the female athlete level one course that he held in Glasgow earlier this year. Anthony is a pelvic floor physio and educator and it was honestly one of the most enlightening weekends that I've had in a very long time and if you're listening to this you work with pre and postnatal people if you're a physio or a coach I highly recommend that you get on one of his courses because it was invaluable and I use his thoughts, what he taught me in my coaching pretty much every single day. So I hope you enjoy this podcast. You can follow Anthony on Instagram at Physio Detective. I really recommend that you do that as well. He is wonderful and yeah, enjoy this podcast. Hello and welcome to this really exciting episode of the Shona Strong podcast. I have the amazing Anthony Lowe, aka Physio Detective, on, which is an absolute honour, Anthony. Thank you so much for coming on. How are you today? I'm doing well, thank you. I'm a bit jet-lagged. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me on the podcast. And I'm, uh, I always love talking about the work that I get to do, so... Um, I love the work that you do. I love when we caught up in Glasgow recently. So looking forward to this chat. Great. So, yes, I met you at the female athlete course in Glasgow that you are holding. And I'd fo- I've followed you on social media for years. So when I saw that you were coming to Glasgow, I just had to sign up. Um, and I believe this has been this like you've just done course number 73. Yeah, yeah, course number 73. So a few were online. Um, a couple were one-day versions. Um, and a couple were called different things, but they were basically the same course. Um, so, yeah, yeah, it's 73 since uh, August of 2016. So I wanted to start by talking about the course that I I did with you Um so I was one of maybe about 30 people on the course and one of about five fit pros, and it was mostly pelvic floor physios on the course. Is that generally the case that it's mostly physios? Uh, often the case it is. Um, the best courses, I think, are about half fit pro, half physios, or one third public health physios, like internal public health physios, one third external public health and musculoskeletal or sports physios and one third fitness professionals that that tends to be a really nice mix um but yeah like the last course that i just did i think out of 41 people uh six were fit pros and six were non-internal public health physios so you you never know what you get to see you know that oh i think that must bring a really interesting dynamic because we're all coming like we're all working with people in different respects and also we've got different backgrounds different biases so that must always create something completely unique and what I actually saw um Teresa Weser post in the Facebook group about how each each uh, course is completely unique and she encouraged people to do the course more than once because you will learn something different each time um and my first question was is there something that always comes up on the female athlete course? Um, it's a very broad question. Is there something that always comes up on the course? I suppose there's always a challenge somewhere for somebody. Um, I'd, I'd say that that's what the goal of the course is. One of the things that I teach is that 
people aren't people aren't ready to learn unless they're confused about something. So the whole idea of the course is to generate confusion and generate experiences and then help people be uncomfortable, help people be comfortable with the uncomfortable, help people be comfortable with the uncertainty and to challenge what they've been taught, realize that what they do helps, but maybe not for the reasons that they thought. So I think that would be something that comes up all the time. Um, you know, usually there are people there because they're thinking of somebody in particular that they can't, they haven't been able to help or they're feeling like they're, I don't know, an imposter, they're doing good work. Everybody tells them that they're doing good work, but they don't feel like they're doing good work or they have their own issues. So those sorts of things come up often. Um, and then, yeah, every course that I've been on, people have uh done a personal best like there's never been a course where everybody goes nah i've i've lifted more than this before in the deadlift portion yeah that that was such a great way to end in the weekend so um if you're listening you've not done the course before the the weekend ends with a one rep max deadlift and a lot of people have never deadlifted before and they're deadlifting like over body weight um, and then there's people that think that heavy deadlifts are something that they aren't within their grasp because of whatever symptom and everyone in the room does it. And it is just such an amazing feeling. It's it's the most tangible learning experience that I, I think I've ever actually been a part of um, where everyone's like, oh, right, okay, I get it now. I get it. Um, yeah, and, and that is something common. I get it now. Like people really understand why people like lifting. And we've had people with stage three pelvic organ prolapse lifting on the course, you know, people with symptomatic pelvic organ prolapse, people with symptomatic stress urinary incontinence and lifting heavier than they've ever lifted. You know, it's it's, it's been good. It's been fun. But, you know, people with low back pain had, had a few people this this past tour where people have low back pain and they were quite concerned about lifting heavy and then they were surprised that it didn't hurt like they were expecting and they weren't sure why, which of course is confusion and people are ready to learn when they're confused. So it's good. Yeah, so you you touched on the fact that there's always like uh, people having to relearn uh, or people having to sort of, they're, they're having what they've been taught be challenged and I, I think that's what make, makes the course. There's always like that first day. It's quite there's it's quite a difficult day. Like there's maybe a lot of emotions come up. I think particularly for the physios because obviously that's that that's what they do. Whereas I feel like as a fit pro going in, I was a kind of more. There was like a more open mind. Like it's not something that there is many people specialising in. Like there's not enough people talking about pelvic floor. Uh, for fit pros and for personal trainers so I actually found it like it it really spoke to me because it was it was basically basically giving me free reign to like try all these things and and ask questions and and actually realize that we don't really we none of us really know the answers to to a lot of the questions that are being put out there yeah and I have come up against some pretty stubborn, firmly fixed mindset fit pros. Um, I don't think it's uniquely physio. I think part of the reason why is because of the way that we're taught. And in general, generally speaking, you had to study quite hard to get into physiotherapy. And then you had to, you know, like it tends to attract people who study a lot. And so we tend to be harder on ourselves because, you know, I only got 90% on the test, that type of thing, right? So when you take a bunch of people who are high achievers and you start undermining what we thought was true, they can, they can struggle a bit. Um, they can struggle a bit. Whereas a lot of the practical component of the course feels much more comfortable for fit pros because you know they're doing very similar things with people just being taught different reasons why um i think i think the bigger the kingdom that the person has the more difficult it is for them to change 
Um, so I think that's irrespective of whether you're a fit pro or a physio. I think the more you have to lose in inverted commas, um, the 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 harder it is for people. They struggle more. Mm, absolutely. There's that sunk cost fallacy as well. Like if you've done courses that, because uh, even listening to you on the Bell Method podcast, talking about um, C-section scar massage, and a lot of people will have invested so much time uh, and money in doing those courses and, and also treated so many patients with that method. And then for you to be like, well, actually, maybe maybe it's it's not the answer that we all thought. Uh, that can be really, really difficult to deal with. And that is, yeah, massively difficult to deal with. So how long how long have you been teaching the female athlete course for? Um, look, it, it started as, like, these courses started off as, like, a two-hour, like, I think the first pelvic floor-focused course that I did was a two-hour evening at CrossFit Fly in Orange County, USA. Um, you know, that, that was a long time ago. That might have been 2013, maybe 2014. Um and it just evolved over there and it became the female athlete course in August of 2016. So I started counting the courses for the female athlete then. But it was a two-day course. Um, and yeah, but I've been teaching this sort of stuff for, for quite a while. Um, yeah, and uh, it's it's a privilege. It's a pleasure. It's It's something that I love and... Hopefully, it's making a difference, right? It's making an impact because uh, it's easy to learn the knowledge side of things. I can just give people papers to read, and that's cool, but often people don't know what to do with that, or people don't know what it feels like to do the things that we're saying, which is why the course is very different. Um, yeah, it's changed a lot over the years, that's for sure. So how how do you th what do you think is the main way that it has changed? Look, I've taken content out. I had to take a lot of content out. People were overwhelmed. Um, you know, I I had to improve in my education skills. I had to. I'm a physio. I'm not an educator, so I don't have a degree in education. Um, so I had to get educators to help me. I had to learn education principles. I had to go read a whole bunch of things. Um, I had to learn presentation skills. Like I've spent a lot of time and money learning non-physio things to help educate health and fitness professionals. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a, uh, it's a funny thing to do, to be honest. Um, so I've taken content out because it was too much. It was too overwhelming. It was very knowledge-based. And then people people weren't keeping up because it was so different. Um, so I took taking talking a lot about the papers. I took a lot of that out, even though it's interesting. It's like you can read the papers. Um, I think what people want are the key messages and how how to do something with that information so so i've had to transform the course simplify it further um and just make it much more experiential learning which which um i would say it was already a very experiential learning type course from the very outset um and then yeah and then i had to take it next level so mm -hmm. I loved it because I think I might be allergic to sitting still. So if it was a course where I had to sit still for an entire weekend, I would have not, I would, I would have really been miserable. But it, we were always up and down. Um, we were always like touching each other. We were always like trying stuff. Um, <laughs> one of my favourite moments was uh, we'd all just had lunch and obviously everyone's had like coffees and drinks and stuff. And then you said, right, Okay, girls, we're going to box jump, we're going to skip, and we're going to do some sprints. And then instantly everyone, because there's like a whole bunch of mums in the room, everyone started queuing for the toilet. And you're like, uh, 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 
we're gonna do it with full bladders and we're like what what is this what is this madness but did they- i say that <laughs> i was very cheeky you're so cheeky <laughs> But that's what I love. That's what I love. Um, and that in itself is pelvic floor muscle training, is doing these things with full bladders. Um, and then you got me to demonstrate double unders. I was like, what the hell? I would never, I would have always emptied my bladder first, but it it wasn't the worst thing in the world. <laughs> so yeah, and, and why can't we? I remember 10 years ago being laughed at for suggesting that we should um consider tracking fluid intake like you know bladder diaries are not new for pelvic for pelvic health physios but like trying to train people using fluid load and the last time they went to the toilet and you know trying to track that so that they can get used to the bouncing up and down of their bladder um because it's something that you have to learn how to manage and so why not use it like weights? But yeah, I remember people laughing at me about that. It's like, all right. But- that must that must take a lot of strength of character to have people laugh at you and have people say, Anthony, what what are you on what are you on about? But you to stand by those messages. Yeah, the reason why is because nobody could give me a good reason why not. So I just disregard what they say, mm-hmm. you know. It, it's If you give me a good reason why, I will change my mind. I have zero problems with that. I may not like it, but I will change my mind. And they couldn't give me a good reason why. That's, like, that's preposterous. It's like, why is it preposterous? Because you didn't think of it? Like, if you thought of it, you'd probably think that it was the greatest thing on earth. I don't think it's the greatest thing on earth. To me, it just makes sense. Why not get used to learning how to manage a bladder and you have to do things like running around, changing directions, jumping, and, yeah, you you can't go to the toilet for whatever reason. Like, why can't we train people to do that? Um, And fine, I understand that there are certain conditions where that may not be a good idea to do. But if the person wants to train like, like that and wants to consider doing that, well, then why not? So I don't think it's strength of character. Some people call it arrogance. I (laughs) I don't think it's arrogance. No, I don't think it is either. I just think that, you know, sometimes people need to get over themselves and that includes me. And so that's why I always try to have teaching assistants that are willing to take, take me down a peg if I ever get like that. So, you know, they keep me accountable. They make sure that I have a think about what I'm doing and why and you know don't don't let my don't let my ego get in the way of things um you know so I think that's really 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 important to have such a helpful team around me not not a team of people who are willing to just tell me all the good stuff but actually a team that are brave enough to tell me what they think I'm doing wrong and that's the invaluable part of my team is that they're willing to do that, that they're willing to call me out on things, um, including publicly, because I keep telling them that they can and I'm happy for them to do so. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I think that's the key. Um, I don't need people just to agree with me. I need people to work with me because most of the time I'm teaching because I need to remember these lessons. I need to remember I struggle with the uncertainty. I like certainty. I struggle to um, keep my mouth shut, for example, so I teach not to. Um, I struggle with seeing all the things and wanting to change all the things that I see, so I have to keep my mouth shut and I have to work differently, and teaching helps me remember those lessons. So it's super important to me that, that I practice what I preach and that I have a trusted team to to slap me in the head figuratively, physically if necessary, but hopefully it never comes to that to make sure that, you know, we're all walking forwards together. Yeah, and I think, like, that that was obvious and that came across in the course because you the people that you have as your teaching assistants, they are big names themselves, like really interesting, qualified 
uh, super intelligent, thoughtful people. And there was moments in the course that I attended where you and Joe were having a bit of back and forth, but then that in, in its in itself then creates a culture where we all we all were encouraged to question what we, each other were saying and have a debate, and that's where we learn because there is there's so much like there's so much lack of research. We 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 cannot really come to absolutes when it comes to all these these things that we're talking about. And interestingly, just going back to what you were were saying earlier, so I mostly work with pregnant women and that my interest in that came when I was pregnant myself and there's so much like um, this is what you're allowed to do this is what you're not allowed to do and some of the things that I was told I wasn't allowed to do like exercise lying on my back I was like what is that what actually is the deal here and so if people ask me these questions I'm not going to say yes it's totally safe to lie on your back when you exercise because we don't actually know that, but I'm also equally not going to say it's not it's not unsafe or it is unsafe or whatever the opposite. But yeah, um, that I find that like one of the most exciting parts of working with pregnancy, and because there's so much lack of research, but I, I do, I'm not going to treat my clients like they're silly wee girls. I'm going to treat them like they're adults and present them the data, and they can make up their own mind with what they're comfortable with. Yeah, I I I agree because it's their body and it's their choice yeah. and they need us to provide them good quality information. The deal with the supine thing, I don't know if you're interested in hearing the reasons why. Um, I think it's presented that way. I, you know, if you're happy to hear it, I'm happy to share it. Yeah, go for um, it. Um, the the risk is um, that that the uterus and the baby can decrease the blood flow return to the heart via the inferior vena cava and it sits on the right side of the spine um, and so when you lie on your back theoretically your baby can cut off that supply um, that that return to the heart but usually when that happens you kind of feel awful <laughs> um, so if you're awake you tend to move or you tend to just say oh, this doesn't feel good like I don't feel good now, there is some debate about whether just a decrease a bit in the blood flow is enough to affect your baby and for how long. And let's face it, nobody wants to get sued or have their finger pointed at them. And so I understand from a financial point of view why people don't want to let people lie on their backs to do exercise. Um, but, you know, there comes a point in time where it's a bit ridiculous where people are six weeks pregnant. Oh, a lot of people don't know that they're pregnant at six weeks, but when people do know, they suddenly stop lying on their backs. And, they're like, mm. and I know that, you know, lots of people are like, oh, yeah, but it's not until 18 weeks or whatever number, right? Um, you can't do... Somebody told me once that they weren't allowed to do toes to bar from 20 weight, 28 weeks onwards. And it's like, but if I did toes to bar at 27 weeks and six days, that was okay, but not on you know 28 weeks and zero days like there's just some silly arbitrary numbers thrown around uh, the lack of individualization annoys me personally yeah. um you know so they should be considered as guidelines and and for good intent right like people want to help prevent issues but there just seems to be this whole jump down people's throats anytime they're not as extreme as you are wherever you sit on the spectrum. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, life is tough in the middle because both ends don't like you. You're not far enough to either end or to any end if you live in the middle. Um, not that the middle is the right place to be, to be honest. It's just that most people sit somewhere towards the middle. And so you're going to upset somebody. Mm. but then if you're sitting in the middle it's not glamorous it's not sexy it doesn't sell programs does it no no it doesn't um that's you know they often are called the silent majority the people who live towards the middle um you know i i, I tell people if a communist and a socialist sat down at dinner the communist would be unhappy that the socialist is too right wing do you know what i mean mm. like that's just ridiculous uh, so you, you'll never make somebody happy 
no. um, at some point just because people like to flock together. So, you know, um, with back to the lying on your back to exercise, I think if you're dynamic in what you're doing, I really don't see there's a problem. Like you're moving around, right, on your back. You're doing things. Uh, if you're just lying there on your back and you're staying there for an hour, yeah, probably not the wisest thing, just in case. Yeah. But if you're doing crunches, you're doing leg movements, you're doing twisting, you're moving, you're dynamic, you're not more than a minute, you know, before you're moving and doing other things, like I, I really don't understand why this is a problem. Yeah, so um, you, you touched on toes to bar there and I wanted to get your thoughts on this topic. I, I bet you're going to guess what I'm going to ask you about. So um, Tia Toomey, she's pregnant okay. and she is like, if, if you're listening, you don't know who Tia Toomey is, she is the fittest woman in the world and she has been training all through her pregnancy, really inspiring um, and she's been doing a lot of movements that she would normally do, uh, including like toes to bar, uh, dips, things that put a lot of pressure through the midline and she's posted videos of herself and she's coning and the internet specifically pre and postnatal internet is losing their shit about it um, and I'm actually so excited and interested to see what happens to just sit and wait and see what happens to Tia Tuma postpartum because that'll be I mean it won't even really give us answers but I just think it, I would love to hear your thoughts on the outrage. Well, look, to be honest, even though I know Tia personally. Wow. Um, Tia All, right. Shane, All right, name drop. <laughs> um, she, you know, from what I understand, she hasn't, like I haven't spoken to her since probably 2019. Um, because that was the last time I was at the games, maybe 18. I don't know. You just see people, you catch up. Um, but um, you know, it's her body and it's her choice. Like, why are we going nuts about what she chooses to do? It's not like she goes out there and says, This is what everybody should be doing. No. Right? It's just what she's doing. Um should she be more responsible is often a question that I get asked. And it's like, I think she's being responsible by saying this is what I'm doing. Like, full stop, I, that's it. I actually think she's being responsible by exercising throughout pregnancy because we, we yeah. know that not enough women are doing that. And a lot of people think, still think that it's not safe to exercise during pregnancy. The fact that she is being active and also doing things that people, people are like, oh, no, 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 that's really dangerous. I love to see it. It's, it excites me so much, and I, I think that it's it's only really a good thing. Yeah, look, the guidelines say to be careful of activities that increase the risk of falling on, on your belly, basically. And so doing things like box jumps is a higher-risk activity. Um, you know, you have to accommodate for the changes in your body. But thankfully, the body doesn't change that quickly. It's not like one day you wake up and you're 10 kilos heavier, 25 pounds heavier with a waist that is suddenly overnight 12 inches bigger. Like it just doesn't work like that. Um, I, I feel very comfortable writing an antenatal program. I feel very uncomfortable writing a postnatal program because the variations that we have to account for is massive. Some people are ready to run at three weeks postpartum and other people are not ready to run at three years postpartum. And if we take Take a look at Tia, no matter what the result is, somebody is going to be sitting there going, I told you so. And the results don't prove the reasoning. No. Like, we don't know her story. Mm. We don't know what she's going to go through during um, labour. We, we're not there. We're not her providers. Like, why don't we just mind our own business? Yeah. Now, you know. That's really like, hard to do, <laughs> like I don't get it. I don't get it. Like what? Like I would love to make a commentary video about what she's doing. Except, why? Like I tell you what my commentary would be. Okay, the guidelines say this. T is doing this. She seems to be in 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 the guidelines. Uh, the the increased risk of falling from box jumps. 
Yes, that is definitely a thing. Does she look unsafe? No. Has she considered that she could fall? I I suspect she has. Does she have a plan? If she falls, how is she going to fall? She's an athlete. It is unlikely that she's just going to spread her hands out and just land belly first on the on the floor. Do you know what I mean? Like, um, could she land on the edge of the box? Absolutely, she could. Um, you know, is that a risk she's willing to take? I suspect it is because she's doing it, yeah. and I'm pretty sure that somebody has told her about it, and she's just gone. Yeah, I'm okay. Do you know what I mean? And we have to be okay when people are okay with what they're doing. Like I said, people get upset because you're not as far over to whatever spectrum they are, and she's doing more than what people would like. That's where the outrage seems to be. Like, I don't think anybody's going, oh, she should be doing more than what she's doing in pregnancy. I don't think anybody's doing that. So it tends to be she's doing too much, right? So she could go for a little power walk up the hill. Somebody's going to go, that's too much. That's too much. She shouldn't be doing that. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's it's really sad. Um, so why are we commenting on women's bodies? Like, we don't think that we should do this when they're not pregnant, comment on people's bodies. Why are we commenting on it when they are pregnant? Like, how is that different? I don't understand. This is the sort of stuff that confuses me, Shona. Because to me, it, the principle is the same, right? Now, if she was going out there and saying, this is what everybody should be doing, you should be doing box jumps. And if you can't do box jumps, well, then you're not good enough. I'd have something to say if she was doing that. But she's not. <laughs> she's just sharing what she's doing. Calm down. Mm. Yeah, you're right. And I, I mean, I've got a couple of theories behind this because you're right. As soon as you become pregnant, it's like, everything about your life, your body, your behavior, your choices, what you eat just becomes fair game to be discussed by everyone. Um, Like, God forbid you be a pregnant woman on social media. There's a girl I know who um, posted a video of her eating like a soft serve ice cream. Oh, I didn't, I, I mean, I'm a pre and postnatal trainer and I didn't know that that was apparently a dangerous thing to do. A woman can't even eat an ice cream without being called out on it. She's pregnant. Oh. Ice cream is amazing. <laughs> well, and the thing is, is that when you eat soft serve, there is a theoretical, I don't think it's theoretical, there is an increased risk of a bacterial infection. Mm-hmm. The fact that she's doing it, is that a reason to comment? Like, how about asking people? Like, if you really want to have a discussion about it, mm-hmm. how about just asking for permission to talk like, hey, notice that you're uh, eating a soft serve ice cream. Would love to have a chat to find out your thoughts about it, you know, because I have some thoughts about it. And then if they go, nah, I'm not, I'm okay, thanks. Be okay with their answer, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and yeah, it does come back to the your body, your choice, because I follow lots of women who are exercising while pregnant doing things that have risk of falling or risk of being hit for example climbing with joy love her account I don't climb but she climbs up hills while pregnant or climbs up sorry like hangs from her hands while pregnant um I follow MMA fighters and these people have to continue to train because that's their job throughout pregnancy they are athletes and rugby players footballers um, but then also I, I know someone who was a Commonwealth Games cyclist who decided to just not cycle throughout her pregnancy. That was just her choice. So it really does come down to knowing the risks and knowing how you feel and what you want to do. And then you make that choice yourself. Yeah. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay my cards on the table. I'm not going to be happy as a choice for myself if somebody's pregnant and playing full contact rugby, I don't think that's particularly wise personally. However, if somebody tells me that they're going to do it, I'm going to do my very best for them in that context. Do you understand what the risks are? Do you understand that I do not think this is a good idea for you to do? And if they still say yes, and I'm going to do it, I'm going to chart it so that I've covered myself and said, listen, 
they've got informed consent. Like they know that I've told them what the risks are and that this is not a good idea. And they're choosing to do it anyway. Like I'm a conservative physio. People think that I'm reckless because of whatever reasons. I don't know. They make stuff up in their heads, but I'm actually a conservative physio. Um, And so I will still work hard to minimize the risk based on what they choose to do, Mm. not because I'm allowing them to play rugby as if I have permission over their bodies. Like, who am I? Um, I'm a trusted consultant. I'm not their, I'm not their boss over their body. So, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a strange little dynamic. Like you said, once you become pregnant and, you know, it's hard to hide and people love to comment, usually well-intentioned and very happy, right? Oh, my God, you're pregnant. Oh, I hope you're having a good time. You know, you look like you're glowing, like all the rest of it. And I I, I am guilty of doing those things, right? Um, but I'm trying to, to do better. I think steps in the right direction are, are the key. And again, no matter how much you've changed, it's never going to be fast enough or enough for some people and that's just life yeah. right if if you want to be tossed around in the breeze by what the opinions of others are well then you're going to lead a very uh tossed around life and you just got to be happy with who you are and know where you're going and why and just you know consider what people say yeah and learn from what people say and do, even if it's learning what not to do, and um, just keep pressing on, fighting the good fight. Yeah, yeah. I think like it would be really lovely if we lived in a world where people were able to not make comments, not make comments about bodies during pregnancy. But I think until that time comes, work on how you, because the only thing you control is how you react and how you respond. Um, and it is it is very difficult especially during pregnancy like all the hormones and emotions and everything going on it is very difficult to not react but um, I think looking at your triggers is is a really helpful thing and just and that's just advice for anything like uh, examining your triggers is, is so the helpful. principles are the same right principles are the same whether you're pregnant or not how you interact with people. And I think, you know, a considerate approach is is usually um, acceptable for most people, right? Considering how they feel about things and, you know, instead of strangers coming up and touching you on the belly, which is technically assault if it's unwanted, right? Yeah, like, don't do that but people seem to feel like they've got permission to do that because you're pregnant. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, I it's don't know. the village to raise a child. I think that's where it comes from. Everyone feels like they're involved in the shaping of this child. Which yeah. Is- and so let people know. How about something along the lines of, uh, are you pregnant? I don't know. And it's like, yeah, I'm pregnant. Okay, cool. What can I do to help because... I love the fact that you're pregnant and I want to help you in some way, practically, you know, instead of just foisting unwanted, unsolicited advice on people. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so here's a bit of a left field question. I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this one. If you had unlimited resources, time, money, um, what would you conduct research in? What would you like to know some answers to? Oh, well, wow. I know that's unlimited a time and money and resources. <laughs> um <clears throat> well. Do we mean just pelvic health? Oh, I mean if there's something else you'd like to know about, then yeah, go for it. I would love like for the longest time, well over, well over 10 years, probably 15 years or more, I've believed and had had started an algorithm to help um, because I knew the technology would be available one day to be able to, to help people better diagnose and get help 
from the computer, from Google, better. Um, so it, it seems like I'm rather slow in getting ahead of the curve. Uh, the technology has caught up very, very fast, which is great. But um, I don't believe computers will take away from my job. I believe that the decision-making process might be better enhanced with um, with things like chat GPT or artificial intelligence, genuine artificial intelligence. Um, so I would love to, to spend the time putting my decision-making processes into an algorithmic form. I, I have that in my head. I've written it down. I'm sure I could find some of the flow charts that have already started. Um, yeah, that would be one. Um, Oh, that, that was not what I was expecting you to say. <laughs> well, that's why I asked. Yeah, what are so we talking about? You mean um, in, in, in terms of pelvic health, if someone's got an issue, they type it in and what what happens? Is that anything what to do with musculoskeletal uh, sports or pelvic health issues? Like, yeah, because there's, there is a decision-making process that goes on in my brain. And I believe it's you can codify it. I believe that you can program for what we do. Um, we just lack usually the awareness to describe why we're making decisions and why we're giving certain weight to some information and not others. And I, I believe that you can codify it. Um, I just don't have the time to do it. So I've got a question about that then. I think that um, just from spending the, the weekend at the female athlete course, there was a definite, like, what the physios are doing in their day-to-day -day jobs is way more than just doing what you're describing. Um, there's a lot of, like, um, listening and sort of being therapists, being cheerleaders. Uh, and, I mean, even, like, having had appointments with pelvic floor physios myself, I think that's a huge part of it. Like having someone who is really empathetic and understanding and makes you feel strong, capable, adaptable and resilient. Would this technology make you feel that? No. No, but that's why I said that it will never take my job. <laughs> right, of course, yeah. <laughs> it will but it will enhance the decision-making process to make sure that I haven't missed anything. Right. Okay. So it would be something that you would work with rather than. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. And something that you could like in my head, it's about empowerment. So something that you could answer a whole bunch of questions, the more questions you can answer the the better quality result you'll get. Right. And part of the problem with an appointment is that as a therapist, I'm juggling I'm juggling how much information do I need to make a diagnosis versus how much time do we have and how much money does a person have like I could absolutely examine everything but I don't need to um but having that decision making process codified and ensuring that we haven't missed anything I think would only result in better outcomes for people. And I'd be happy to justify the the reasons why I did certain things with people. I'm always happy to give an answer for what I believe. So um yeah, it's never going it it doesn't replace the human interaction. It ensures that um it ensures that people's biases and assumptions and their beliefs, attitudes, meaning, and stories don't get in the way of quality healthcare, right? Yeah, yeah I think that's a huge thing because we can we can maybe veer off too far in one direction, can't we? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, for the more traditional answers that you were probably expecting, um, <laughs> I would like, I would love to see what, a personalized pressure management program would look like with people having a pressure sensor that they could use on themselves, daily tracking, develop a system so that 
we could just see how much does intra-abdominal pressure actually play in the role of experiencing your symptoms depending on your diagnosis. I think that would be really interesting. Um, I would love to do more diastasis. Or like I would love to see diastasis research. Um, and you know what? If we had unlimited time and money, I would love to see longitudinal research. Research where we actually follow people for a long time, be able to pay them for their time, um, and so that we can actually find out things that are more certain than we currently have, um, because I think that's important. Mm -hmm. The thing is with intra-abdominal pressure, and I was thinking about this at the gym this morning, is that is so person-dependent and then exercise-dependent and then technique-dependent, breathing-dependent, and it would be really difficult to be to actually measure this across different people, wouldn't you say? Yeah, which is why I said an individualized yeah. or personalized <laughs> pressure management program. Yeah. Yeah, because I imagine like I, I was doing I was doing front squats today and I was doing back squats the other day. And imagining that I was probably doing something completely different with my breathing. And then thinking about what you said, um, what you were discussing on the Bell Method podcast about what if you are what if exhaling isn't actually the best thing? Because I, I mean, that would be something I would always do myself. I would always encourage other people to do. But what if, when you're exhaling, you're actually, you're actually creating the most pressure and you're bearing down? And it, I think that that was that was a really that was an eye opening moment this morning for me as well. Yeah, because we just assume that certain things are good, but what's that based on? It's not based on anything other than feelings. Mm -hmm. It's not good enough. Yeah. So what would you like to see in the future of pre and postnatal coaching slash physio? What would be, what would you like to keep seeing more of? I think that people are doing a great job. I think everybody's doing a great job in helping people. Um, I would love to see people change the wording and the reasons around why they're helping people to be less fearful. Um, because I just believe that basically everybody is helping people with what they're doing. This is why people find it hard to change because they believe the results prove the reasoning. That's a logical fallacy. Um, but it's a very powerful piece of evidence that people rely on and and the problem is is that it appeals to us it's like and it doesn't matter how much you understand in in a knowledge and thinking sort of way um if you have a powerful emotional experience it's very hard to change your mind on something um so uh, it doesn't matter what what the research says if you've had a great result from something uh, is very, very difficult to change. So um, I think I think what I'd like to see is more lifting each other up. I'd love to see more recognition for the good that people do, even if it if we disagree with the way that they're doing it. Um, I think that's important. I think um, I think people are only trying to help and there are negative unintended consequences. And I know because I've, I've lived long enough, Shona, that I've made lots and lots of mistakes with lots of well-intentioned, but uh, misguided uh, things that I've done. So, so I think just acknowledging that more acknowledgement of what people are trying to do and why, and then, creating a safe enough way for people to change the reasons and the wording why because people will tend to double down on things that are wrong because they don't want to be wrong do you know what i mean like they'd rather insist that they are right because that's more comforting and easier to manage as say the rest of the world be screwed than to say ah oh, i've been doing it wrong or, you know, I, I, I've been wrong about the reasons why for the last 20 years. Like, I think that's very threatening for people. I think that that's very, um, 
you know, that, that'll usually induce some sort of um, <laughs> uh, existential crisis. So, so I think being able to help people through that by having conversations instead of arguments, like I, I like, I like having arguments because to me, I'm very literal. It doesn't have to be a fight. It's an argument. This is the reasons why I'm taking this position. And they're the reasons why you're taking that position. I don't have a problem with that, but lots of people uh, conflate the two mm. to be the same. Like they, they think of presenting arguments as having a fight. It's not personal. Um, we're just talking about ideas, but sometimes those ideas can feel very personal. Yeah, you're right. And on that note, I think we should draw this to a close, but this has been so interesting, Anthony. Um, I mean, I could talk to you all day, but you're a very busy and important man. Um, you have more stuff coming up, more athlete, female athlete courses in the future. Yeah, what's next? Yeah, um, in a couple of weeks, I will be in uh, in Zurich, in, in Switzerland, and then Dusseldorf. So if anyone uh, wants to cross the pond and go to Europe, uh, it's not that far away. No, from, that would from be the a UK. wonderful little weekend, yep. <laughs> yeah, um, it depends on when this goes out. If you get it out in the next wee while, that'll be good. But yeah, it's the end of May and the start of June where I'll be teaching and then I'll be in the States and I'm working on, I'm getting it online in a, in a way that's going to be really helpful for people, but it's a big project to do that. Um, and, and still be able to run in-person type work as well. So a bit of a hybrid opportunity there for people if they want, mm -hmm. um, you know, so yeah, I've got that going on. The podcast will be back soon. Uh, more diastasis stuff. Like, there's just lots going on all the time. Yes, more podcasts from Anthony because I realised you've not uploaded in a while, and I was like, Anthony, I need more. Well, I feel kind of funny if I if I didn't do it with Marika. So, you know, she's she's had a lot going on in her life. I've had a lot going on in my life. So, um, the last time we spoke. We were talking about recording in June. So that'll be after I come back from Europe. Good. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Anthony. And have a lovely day. And definitely get yourself on a female athlete course because it has been career changing for me. And I don't say those words lightly. Oh, thanks, Shona. I really appreciate it. Um, it's, it's honestly a privilege to be a part of such an event and the Glasgow course was definitely one of the memorable ones. It was a fantastic <laughs> venue, fantastic participants, um, just a really fun time. Um, and, and so even though we rode emotional roller coasters, I, I really felt like it was, uh, such a great experience for everybody. Mm. It's, it's definitely one of the more memorable ones. Good. Yeah. We all came out the other side, stronger and better people for it <laughs> i hope so <laughs> thank you so much anthony have a lovely day thanks for listening everyone bye